0: Welcome to the Score N.I. podcast where we bring you the best Irish League discussion each week. To find out about future shows make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at The Score N.I. Now it's time for this week's programme. It's uh, great to have uh, another week, another special guest, and this one is uh, a cracker because not only can he help us talk about international football because he's been capped for Northern Ireland, but uh, he has a wealth of experience in uh, England and in Northern Ireland in the domestic leagues. It can only be Alan Blaney. Alan, it's brilliant to have you here. Thank you. Um, What a career, first of all. I mean, you're only recently retired, so I guess first up, how is the recent retirement? Are you used to not playing yet?
1: Um, it's actually not too bad at the moment. Um I'm still involved in the game. I'm I'm uh coaching at uh Dundella. Um obviously you said I'm only recently retired, so I'll maybe start missing it soon. Um but so far so far so good.
0: Did you know you were gonna go into coaching was that always in the back of your mind or what way did it present itself?
1: No, I it didn't obviously when you're playing a lot of players don't really think about it. Um I was the same. I didn't really think about it at all um, until I started, you know, getting to the latter stages of my career, um, and it was obviously something just I became interested in. Um, I started off coaching kids, and then just gradually, you know, built up there. I'm still I'm coaching kids now, um, but I had the chance to, you know, coach the goalkeepers at Dundella so I jumped at the chance.
0: And what is coaching as enjoyable as playing? Is it a different experience entirely?
1: Um, it's it's more. It's more enjoyable when you actually when you're coaching a guy, maybe he's struggling with different things, and you come to a game and you see him doing well at the things he was struggling at. You know, you can see him rec- correcting his mistakes. I think that that brings more more joy to it. If I'm being honest, um, obviously I enjoy working with the guys. You know, on one to one basis, maybe a Tuesday and a Thursday night. But if they're maybe struggling with something, they've made a mistake the previous week or something like that and the same situation arises and they actually come through that okay, I think I think that's more of a more of a pleasing thing.
0: Because it always strikes me the amount of pressure on goalkeepers from the minute you become a goalkeeper at any age. There will be people on the sidelines. It doesn't matter if you're 7, 17, 27, 37. There will be people screaming at you.
1: Oh yeah, 100%. Um, and I think... <laughs> I've had this conversation with a lot of goalkeepers I think it's a it's a UK thing there doesn't seem to be a lot as much pressure on goalkeepers you know outside the UK I think it's just the the mentality of people uh, in the UK England and Northern Ireland and stuff like that they all just seem to be so down on on goalkeepers Um, and I think you know, kids even pick up on that at an early age, and the, and that's where the pressure comes from because they're just so worried about you know outside outside influence, people having a go at them, anything you know. Any goal goes in, you always hear the comment, "Oh, the keeper had no chance." Oh, the keeper had no chance. But the, the, there was there's no comment made where the defender had no chance or anything like that. It's always just if a goal goes in, it's goalkeeper. Either he could have saved that or he couldn't have saved it. It's it, there's never any emphasis made on. The, the outfield players or anything like that and it's just kids feel it at an early age
0: See that's interesting and I'm sure as a commentator I've been guilty of saying one of those phrases and you're right in many ways and, and I'm, I've never been a goalkeeper at any level and yet there's me passing comment on whether you could or, or could not have saved it mm-hmm. and you're, you're the one that's qualified
1: Yeah, no, 100% um, it's, it's, People say, all goalkeepers will say it's the hardest position on the pitch it is to a certain extent because of the the pressure you, you you have, even from your teammates or your manager, and and obviously the fans as well. It's just it's if you people always say goalkeepers are mad, and you you have to be mad to, to do it. You know what I mean? And you have to be a strong character, obviously as well.
0: Did you? Looking back in your career, did you always want to be a keeper or were you really tall growing up and someone just went, right, Alan, you stand there?
1: No, I always, I actually got, I didn't play football till I was maybe 11 or 12. Really? Really. Um, I hated football. Absolutely hated it. My dad put wow. football on TV. I was like, turn that over. I don't want to watch it. Don't like it. I was just out in the street playing with my friends. Um, did you have
0: another sport or was it just something? Nothing. No?
1: Nothing whatsoever. I wasn't into sport whatsoever. Um... And the local team just around my area, they needed a goalkeeper one time, and I says, "Well, I'll, I'll jump in, I'll help out." Um, and it just started from there. I just loved, just loved it from the moment I started. I started doing it. I thought, it's a strange one because I just, I didn't detest the football. I thought, uh, I detested it, um, and then just started playing, and then just it just clicked. I just absolutely loved
0: it. I say I never knew that about you. That's really interesting. Was it? What was it you didn't like initially? Was it because everyone loved that it? it was sort of forced down your throat, or
1: no? It was never. It was never forced down my throat. My dad loved loved football, but I never. I, ne- I don't come from a, a sporting family or anything like that. I just. I just had no interest in it whatsoever.
0: You're just one of those hateful people that, as soon as he starts <laughs> playing, is actually really good. Uh, <laughs>
1: no, but obviously it's. Just one of them things. Obviously, when I started off, it was probably very raw. You know what I mean? But I just loved diving about, and I just, I just really
0: found enjoyment in it really early.
2: Who did your dad support? Spurs. That explains a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Spurs had some incredible goalkeepers. I think. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. Not so much recently. <laughs> Spot the Chelsea fan in the room. Um, so, I mean, going from that, eleven or twelve, all of a sudden playing in a local team. How come within a few years you're getting a chance to go over to England? I mean, that must be whirlwind stuff for your family going, our oh, Alan didn't like football a few years ago, and now there's talk of him getting on a plane and going and well, doing that that's big e- time.
1: That's exactly it. Um, I had started playing for this wee team, and I was only playing maybe, I think I was playing two years, and the Southampton scout wrapped the door. And my mum my mom and dad were like, what are you talking about? Our Alan doesn't, doesn't, play, <laughs> foot, our Alan doesn't play football. And they thought he was actually winding them up. Yeah, and he just came in and explained that he would like me to go over for a trial, and and I actually thought thought he was winding me up too. I didn't I didn't expect it whatsoever. Um, and I just went from there, then I went over for a
0: trial. So if your
2: parents didn't think you were playing football, exactly, did they didn't think you? Would, you would <laughs> <do>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they they knew he was safe. That's the main thing. Okay. He, he always came home. Um, I, and going over to England, then. I mean, what age were you the first time you you made that journey?
1: Um, the first trial I went on, I think I was coming. I think it was thirteen or fourteen. It
0: was very young. So,
1: yeah, it was very young. Um, I actually went. I went on my own. Um, there was no. The first time I went, there was nobody with me at all. The scout dropped me off at the airport and got on the plane. Na- nowadays, if you heard of, the, a thirteen-year-old wouldn't be allowed to go on a plane on their own. Um, just went over. The guy met me at Heathrow Airport and took me down to Southampton
0: do you remember what that experience was like because you're right I mean nowadays there's no way you'd be allowed to do that but Mm. but you did do it and I'm sure other people did as well at that stage I mean were you nervous did did any of it sort of dawn on you that I'm on a plane on my own I'm going to England I'm, I'm going for a trial with Southampton
1: no it was it was never really the plane or anything like that I wasn't really fussed about that it was as soon as I got there I was like I mean, I've only been playing football here for maybe two or three years here and I'm on a trial with, you know, a premiership football club. I think when I got there then the nerves started to, you know, hit me then. But once I got there, we used to we used to go to stay in a army camp in Winchester. Right. That's where the trials took place. So it was like maybe twenty kids went and we stayed at the army camp at Winchester. We stayed there for a week. Um so it was, you know, close quarters, you know, all the kids were all together. So it was it was great fun.
0: And what was the first experience like then? Of you know when you when you went through training, how how far into the trial were you before you knew right they're keen on me and this is gonna this is gonna progress?
1: Well, it actually it was a couple of years because it was you went for a week and then you maybe didn't hear anything for maybe two or three months, and then you would have got a letter uh, sent to the house to say I would like you to come back for another week, and then the same thing happened maybe two or three times.
0: So the monitor, you? Yeah.
1: yeah. Basically, okay. yeah. Well, they would say like they would give you the trial, see what they think, and then they would send you back. And then maybe the scout that that was based here would maybe come and watch you, and or a couple of times he would report back and things like that. But obviously, I didn't know anything about that at all. I was just, you know, and you you were actually you came home for the from the week, and you hadn't heard anything for ages. So you were kind of just thought to yourself, well, it was a good experience, but nothing really came of it. And then you got the letter, so it was it was good.
0: Do you keep the letters?
1: My mum maybe has them, but I, I don't. I don't have them. <laughs>
0: That'd be a, a, a cracking wee memento. You're so freshly retired, I reckon it probably wouldn't even hit you yet. But you know, in, in another ten years or something, they're probably the wee things you want to go back and go. I this is I did this.
1: Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. There there are things that I keep. Obviously my caps and and my uh, Irish League winners medals and things like that. I've got those and stuff framed and things like that. But there's probably a lot more from my childhood. You know, that I could probably dig out that would be nice to look at.
0: So let's fast forward a bit. So obviously you've had trials around the place. Southampton <coughs> was the team you settled on, and um, even when we posted online that you know you're going to be on this program, people started sending us messages. Oh, that save against Alan Shearer! I mean, as a goalkeeper, that is what you want to be remembered for, isn't it? I mean, it wasn't just a good save; it was actually Sky Sports save of the season. Um, there are there are world class goalkeepers that have never been voted a save of the season. Um, so that is. It's a nice thing to be able to say.
1: Yeah, well I'll probably get a lot of stick talking about this because Well I brought it up. Apparently apparently I never stopped talking about it, which <laughs> I don't. Um Yeah, it was great. Um that was Melvisy, my, my debut. Um I had no idea I was playing until I got to the ground. I got to the ground, um Auntie Naimi, the goalkeeper at the time, he was he was unwell. So it was just kinda you're playing. So I didn't really have time to, you know, really get nervous. Um and to play the game, it did. It was it was it was great.
0: I mean, it was coming to the end of the season, it ends up a three-three. It was a proper thriller of a match. But Newcastle needed a win to keep the European dream alive. That's right. And, and there's Alan out ruining their day. <laughs> That's right.
1: Um, actually, I got a, when I get home from the my summer holidays, I actually had a card came through my apartment from Liverpool fan right to say th- thanks very much for getting us into the champions league because <laughs> actually liverpool that, that, that got into the champions league then
0: off the back of that i mean and that save i watched it earlier today because i remember what i watched that game but i don't think i appreciated it at that stage i watched it today and I thought He's done brilliantly there. I mean, how much of that is just instinct, or how much are you aware of? Because the ball flies in, and Alan Shearer, who I mean, ninety-nine times out of hundred, bullets the header past anybody. Yeah, and and you get in the way of it.
1: No, I, I think it was just purely instinct. Because even when it was up over the bar, I kind of was like, "What what actually happened there?" You know what <laughs> I mean? And the fans were clapping, and I realised that I got it up over the bar because I didn't actually even see see it going over the bar. Um, so I think it's just it's mostly mostly was down to instinct really.
0: Was there any, like, words of wisdom? You know when you find out Andy Naomi's not well, he's not going to be playing. Does anybody give you a last-minute pep talk? Because they're probably thinking, this is some way to give him his debut.
1: No, um, actually a funny story. Andy, he was was at the ground, and, well, no one really gave me any kind of pep talk, but he actually had made me a nappy. Right. So he did, out of... um, (laughs) Because he obviously seen how nervous it was, so he <laughs> thought it was funny to go in the back and get a bit of paper or whatever, and and, and say, here he goes, or or you can wear that for the game. <laughs> but no, it was it was it was funny. Like. it
0: sounds like he was a character.
1: Oh, I was. He was a great guy. Great guy.
2: Have you ever heard from sheer yeah. about the save
1: since that? No, no, no. no. Yeah. no. I don't think he was too happy to be
0: honest with you. you well. can see the reaction on his face I don't think he was too pleased. No. <laughs> Not happy the best of times but I <laughs> 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 Um No, uh, that that obviously is uh, in many ways a career-defining moment and, and why wouldn't it be? And you played you played other matches for Southampton but <clears> that <throat> team I just want to talk about it for a minute because people forget how good that Southampton team was. I mean the fact that you know Betty's banging in goals Marianne Pahars Anders Svensson, Matt Letissier, I mean that's a quality side
1: yeah there was there was that was a great great side that year um I think we actually finished finished uh, ninth I think we finished ninth that year I think so yeah um Obviously previous years Southampton were always, you know, fighting relegation every other year. They were trying to, to stay up. Um but obviously you look at Southampton now, they're an established premiership side. But but back then, you know, there was there's some great names that were in, were in that Southampton team.
0: Because that whole period I, I have to be honest, I had a real soft spot for Southampton and I think if if in the early noughties I'd have realised there was actually a Northern Irish fella at the club I'd have loved them even more but there was just something really nice about the Saints which as a Man United fan makes no sense because they always did it but um, there, there really was and uh, looking at that period and some of those players I mean I'm sure our listeners want to know about some of the, the other personalities in that dressing room and that environment what's a Matt Letizia like away from the cameras?
1: Um, Matt Letizia was a great guy you know really down to earth as you know We he never wanted to leave southampton he had numerous chances to leave southampton um, and he just always wanted to stay there um he was just so you know just just like a working class guy really um it was fun he, ne- he never would have warmed up or anything with the team either he just used to stand and just ping balls into the net no, the t- way when you, a team would maybe be warming up together, be running across the pitch back and forward, all doing the yeah. same stretches, hour. He would never take part in the warm-up. He would just stand and just kick balls into an empty net for half an hour and then just just go in and get ready.
0: And he, I'm assuming he had a very good relationship with the manager at the time <laughs> if he's allowed to just kind of do his own way. Well, I think,
1: I think it was Matt Letizia, so I think Matt <laughs> was just allowed to do whatever he wanted at the club, to be honest with you.
0: Had you, maybe you haven't since, I don't know, you can tell me, had you seen anyone like him before in terms of his natural <clears> skill set?
1: No. Definitely not. Um, when I, I was once I made, made the move over in the youth team and stuff. When I was watching training and stuff, it was it was unbelievable. Even even you probably wouldn't see a player. And I obviously he wasn't the most athletic of guys, you know. But his technical ability was was frightening.
0: Who was the who was the one in training that that you hear it coming up against? Because every team has a guy who can just launch one.
1: Uh, probably James Beattie. James Beattie had a had a ferocious shot on him um, he was a great he, he probably doesn't get a, enough credit for how good he was you know he he, he done really well. he played for Southampton scored a load of goals and he got a move to Everton then um, but natural finish or everything he was, he was really really good
0: um, Looking back in that spell <coughs> with uh, the Saints is there any regrets um, because obviously you'd no say in, in you leaving but you know do you look back at it and think there's anything that could have changed to maybe keep yourself there or was it was it out of your hands? It's probably
1: was my own my own attitude it probably would have changed okay. um i never i don't think i ever worked hard enough um no, don't get me i worked hard in training but outside you know with the nutrition and things like that i never i was never really i never really did that the to the best of my ability um looking back now I wish I had of because um, you see, you know, players now. Obviously, uh, players now they're just totally, you know, athletes now. Um, and looking back now, I think I ha- wish I had been a bit more professional in my approach, you know.
0: Because, from what I understand, it was it was a very one way conversation. Someone basically comes to you and said, "Right, well, you're going to Doncaster." hmm
1: Basically, it was actually um, Clive Woodward. Yeah. He was he was working for the club in some sort of strange I don't know I don't know what it was, why why he was even at the club because obviously he was a rugby, rugby guy. Um and I don't know why he phoned me. But he basically just phoned me and goes the club have accepted a, a bid from Doncaster. Um so Do
0: you remember how much it was? Good luck. Fifty
1: thousand. Fifty thousand.
0: Put that through today's inflation. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right there.
1: But it was a it was a strange one. Um, just hung up the phone, and then I got a call from the Doncaster manager, and away I went. I Something mean, strange, very strange.
0: You know, when I, you know through today's lens of player power and people digging their heels in. I mean, was there would there have been an opportunity looking back um, to to say no, I'm staying here. I want to do this. I want to yeah, do that. Yeah, hundred
1: percent. If I had just said. No, I'm not going. Basically, then I, I wouldn't have went. You know, it's obviously it was up to me at the, at the end of the day, but I think it was just a wee bit, a bit too naive at the time. You know, and just just kind of accepted it and, and, and went on. And at the end of the day, I thought to myself, well, there's a chance here. I'm going to play, League One. There's a chance the club can get promoted to the Championship. Um, obviously I wasn't playing at the time at Southampton. Um, but looking back, I wish I had a you know maybe you know hung on a wee bit longer.
0: Because that whole period of your career, I think it's really interesting, particularly now for young goalkeepers, because it's, I mean, all positions are competitive. <clears throat> that level in itself, we know what a small, small percentage of anybody gets that chance, let alone retains the chance or, or, or kicks on. But it must be hard for a goalkeeper when you're you're coming into a club, you're number two, you're number three, you're number two, you, you maybe get a game. Mm-hmm. You're in and out. Uh, yeah. h- how do you process that? What would you say for other keepers?
1: Well... <laughs> The way the way I approach this, when I went to Doncaster, I was I was first choice. I was signed as first choice. Then I got an injury, and then came back from injury, and then I ended up third choice. It's just it's the way things happen in football. Um, but my advice to any goalkeeper would be just to you know keep your head down and just work hard. It's you know it's the old cliche, but people just say you just have to work work hard. Um, and just you know buy your time and be
2: patient. You mentioned there about Mantletissi, I, I know we're back and back you, but obviously he was a one man club. He was there fifteen, sixteen years or so yeah. like are those days behind us. I mean do you think we've seen the end of, you know, big players staying loyal to the clubs. I
1: think so, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um with the with the kind of wages and everything in the game. Obviously in in England and stuff like that, the the wages that clubs are offering players, it's you know, I mean it's, it's very hard for a player to turn down if they're earning maybe say fifty thousand pounds a week and they're offered offered double that, that it, it would be yeah. very hard to turn down that uh,
2: for anybody, I think. So our so players really more financially driven now probably than maybe ever during the course of the game. hmm yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Well you see the like said the only one I can think of in the modern game is your boy uh Mark Noble, who yep. plays for yeah. West, yeah. Ham. West Ham. Yeah. I think he's the only one that I can think of that has stayed with the same club yeah. in, in recent times. Yeah, it's,
0: so it's it's a dying trait. Um, yeah. just you talking about that that sort of financial side, contract negotiations and stuff like that. You know, talk about fish out of water. Did you have any horror stories there, or were you Because you're saying sort of naive in some ways in that stage. and Understandably so. It's all yeah. it's all new. What were contract negotiations like then? Because well, imagine that's not easy
1: either. I when I when I was at uh, so I, thought I had an agent that that looked after my contract at Doncaster, and it's the same thing. I was naive again. It was just the I just let the agent deal with it, and and that was it. And I think that's what it's like now. To be honest with you, obviously the player tells the agent what he wants, but the player doesn't be anywhere near the near the, inc- the negotiations. It's more just the agent and the chief executive or, or whatever that that's looking after it.
2: Do the agents have too much power in the modern game? Probably, yeah. Yeah, they, they seem to control the destiny of a lot of top players.
1: Yeah, definitely because they're they're getting paid an absolute fortune. God, mm. you, you don't know what agents are getting paid if a player's negotiating whatever contract. You know, an agent's probably earning, depending on the player. You know, earning earning millions out of it. You know. In the wrong job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so you weren't a you weren't a torture then. You weren't under the agent going, look, I think there's easily another few k to squeeze out of this one. No,
1: no, I was always. <laughs> I think I was always a wee bit too soft. I just kind of went with the flow, kind of thing. And looking back, obviously, I wish I wish I had been a bit more, a bit more um, harder on it. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, like no disrespect to the Irish League, but they're they're not going to be able to compete with Southampton wages. No, definitely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, fast forward a wee bit and, and coming to the Irish League um, what was your mindset like when you when you, you got the move back home as it were I mean was there a chip on your shoulder or were you just happy to, to get regular football again
1: no it was just when I was always in England I never really felt settled I was always I was always homesick um, I used to fly back nearly every other week you know I But I came home for like two days and went back again it was just it was I was always just Really really homesick um, what
0: else were on there? no so you know when you and you come home, what's that like though when you get an offer to join a club? I mean are you sort of going I should be in England or are you just relieved?
1: no I was I was totally relieved. um I got the I was on trial at Uval um, and I got a call from the Bohemians manager um Sean Sean Connor. He's actually the institute manager now, Yeah, yeah. Um, and he just said he'd like to come and play for Bohemians for the the last four or five months of the season. So I said, yeah, it's a chance to be home, and um, there's there was nothing happening in England, so I, I jumped at the chance, um, stayed there for a while, and then Tommy Wright actually brought me to Bolamina, so he did. So it was it was it was it was a relief to to come home, honestly.
0: I actually wasn't going to do it in this order, but just because you mentioned uh, the the new stute boss. Um, he's really impressed me in a couple of weeks of watching Institute play I know you are only with him for a few months but what was your impression of him as a manager in terms of how you set a team up?
1: Yeah no great, great manager um, obviously when I, when I joined Bohemians the goalkeeper was injured at the time um, I played three or four matches then he came back from injury and then I, I wasn't playing at the time but I think Bohemians have done quite well that season I think they finished third I think in the league that year but he, he, seemed, he seemed like a, a really good manager
0: uh, I think they're on to a good one there. Just, I just noticed uh, there was a game that they were playing against Cliftonville and they were trailing by a goal and his mentality, and it's obviously borne out right? and they've they've now picked up a win under him, but he was encouraging the winger to cheat. Get up there, get, we're only losing by a goal. We need mm. to score. Yeah. Don't go back. Don't try and hold on to a 1-0 defeat. Mm-hmm. Let's try and score. And I thought, that's entirely, that is the right attitude if you're going to try and stay in any league. Oh yeah,
1: 100%. It's... It even even the other night when we played. Uh, Dundela played Lorne. You know we were, we were, we weren't uh, with nothing to lose. Basically going down there. You know we thought we were going to go down and we were going to get a a, a bathroom basically. Um, but even the few of the goals we scored, you know, it was the striker didn't give up on on lost causes and things like that. And I think that's that's the way to go. You know, you see a lot of players just giving up on lost causes? But you never know what can happen. Obviously, if you if you go for it.
0: And uh, sometimes I think it must be just so frustrating as a goalkeeper because you obviously can affect your part of the game, but after that you're watching it, and there, mm-hmm. there must be games where you're thinking, "I'm doing my part." <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. There are there are times where you know you do get frustrated as a goalkeeper, but you just have to you know stay stay focused, really, and, and and what's happening in front of you. You can't you can't affect what what the ten other players are doing in front of you. You just have to try and. You know, focus on what you, what what you're doing.
0: Would you say as you, as you got older and you got more experienced, you got more vocal, or or were you did you always have a confidence in a team environment?
1: No, I was always I had always been been a kind of a confident guy. You know, even on the pitch, I'd always been quite loud on the pitch and stuff like that. Um, I'm not I wouldn't be like a, a loud guy off the pitch. You know, I'm I'm quite a quiet guy, but you know, I was always I was always very vocal on the pitch, like.
0: I certainly remember you being vocal on the pitch, so uh, <laughs> it's good to know it was always in you. Um, Tommy Wright's a vocal guy too. Yeah. Um, were you ever on the end of one of his famous ear bashings?
1: I actually wasn't. No, when Tommy signed me, he, he then left. He went, he just, I don't know what happened to Balamina, I mean, he signed me and then the season was starting. I, mean, I, I was actually on holiday and found out that Tommy, Tommy had left. Um, and then shortly after that, he got the, he got the job at St. Johnson.
0: Oh, yeah, because you when you signed, it was like a pre-contract thing, wasn't it? You couldn't yeah, play?
1: that's right. Couldn't yeah. play, yeah. So then, obviously, when it, when the season was due to start, then he, he had left. I think he had a fall night with a board or something like that. I'm not too sure.
2: I'm turned up at the distillery. i made history. <laughs> Let's not forget that.
0: No, he's, he's done all right, hasn't he, Tommy? He's done all right. Um, sorry, Colin. Yeah, yeah. I was
2: going to say there, you mentioned, obviously, Dundella there. That's where you are at the moment. You're coaching goalkeeping. Big big win the other night. That was absolutely amazing. I think It shocked everybody in the local football.
1: So about yeah, the, the amount of people have said to me, um, what happened the other night? People people think that they had maybe a youth team playing or something like that. No, but they had a they had a good strength squad out. Um, I think we were just very very good on the night. Um, it's like I, like I just mentioned. You know, we went down and just we just went for it. A lot of a lot of teams will probably go down there and give them too much respect and kind of sit back. Um, but no, we went we went down
2: looking for a win. I know one of the goalkeepers you're coaching down there uh, former third player Ryan McBride Yeah, he says to ask you about Morocco do you want to talk about Morocco or do you I'd want I'd to I'd Absolutely I prefer no not, not to to be honest with you <laughs> well, I can see his face going red <laughs> from here, but he I'll I'll said no Ryan
0: more Ryan on Saturday about that. <laughs> oh he's rightly under the bus there oh. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Ryan struck first but he might not be the one to strike last I uh, get away since there um, there's I'm sure throughout your career, there's been no shortage of messers. Ryan can now add his name to that list. Who were who were some of the biggest hallions to to, to play with? <laughs> here's, your, here's your time to shine, Alan. Um,
1: at Linfield, probably um, the two headers, uh, Winky Murphy and Stephen Douglas. Um, they were the they were at the forefront. of Everything that was going on like they were real, really good guys. Like as well, but they're absolute. You know, headers like Stephen. Obviously, he's still playing, which is mental because I think he's forty-two now or something. So he's still he's still with Coleraine, and um, but they are really really funny guys. Like,
0: there's one story, and I'd like you to tell it about when you beat Crusaders and won the Irish Cup. I believe uh, Stevie Douglas was uh, <laughs> enjoying that day an awful lot.
1: Yeah, um, we were. Uh, it was obviously we'd lifted the trophy, came into the dressing room, and obviously uh we were all just messing the dressing room whatever and then we heard all commotion outside the with the old windsor with the, the really thin tunnel. Yeah. Um and we all went outside and Stephen Douglas was walking up and down the tunnel absolutely naked <laughs> uh carrying the carrying the, the trophy on his shoulder with uh Stephen Baxter just standing outside the the Crusaders dressing room.
0: Probably wondering what on earth is going on.
1: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think everybody was wondering absolutely. <laughs> But that was that was Stephen. You know, he was he's always always been like that. Great guy to have around the changing room.
0: Oh, I thought you meant a streaker. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the thing about those players is, you, and, and right to say, at times uh, some wonderful stories. <coughs> but two brilliant players too.
1: Yeah, great players in the Irish League. Uh, done really really well for for uh, Linfield. Um, both had really long careers as well in the Irish League. Obviously, like I mentioned, Stephen's still playing. Um, Big Winky, obviously, is a legend as well at um, at, at Linfield. Um, they were great, great to play behind as well.
0: Um, we're going to come on to that Linfield team because you enjoyed three league titles, <coughs> uh, which went along with three Irish Cups. I mean, a, a, a treble double mm-hmm. is a, a thing that it sounds like it's made up, but you've actually played through it. We're yeah. going to talk about that at the other side of this on the score. Play- it's now time for Where's Your Head At here on The Score where we look at the weird and wonderful things that have happened in the last week or so in the world of sport and if we can't figure them out Colin Hopkins we just make fun of them sounds good to me where would you like to start this week?
2: Well, this is one you sort of brought to my attention. I have to say, I thought this was brilliant put Peter Check, the former Chelsea and Arsenal goalkeeper, who is now signed for a British ice hockey team, due to make his debut on Sunday as a as a goaltender or a netminder. Should I say an ice hockey? I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And as a more, as a research a bit more, it does turn out Peter, as a youngster, did play quite a bit of ice hockey. But I thought that was interesting. And Lexi like Allen's viewpoints on possibly. Playing Nets and ice hockey I ever considered it? Would you do that? If the <laughs> Belfast
0: Giants said, Right Alan, we need you a couple of games here, just we'll stick you in all the pad and you'll be grand. <laughs> well, would I you do would, it? I
1: would love to do it for a crack. Would yeah. you? Yeah, it'd be good laugh. Fair so play. I don't, to I, don't, you. I don't I don't think I'd be very good at it like but
0: The net the nets are smaller but it moves faster, so there's like a trade off there, I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah, but if you're all you're you're well padded out anyway, so I don't think there's that much chance of getting hurt.
0: Mark Brooks Belfast Giants I hope you're listening here Adam <laughs> Keith are you listening we've got your keeper lined up this could be a thing I like that um, Peter Cech has a quite significant role at Chelsea though does he not
2: well he hasn't stood down in the Chelsea role this is basically a side interest for him if that makes sense uh, yeah, so
0: a, a professional sports contract well it
2: is but uh, yeah, he's, he's made it quite clear he hasn't sort of changed his role at Chelsea He will still continue but I just thought it was interesting the one goalkeeper you remember for having him uh, wearing a mask for his entire football career more or less has obviously now trading his mask for another another mask yeah,
0: brilliant. yeah and uh, <laughs> fair play to him he's also a very keen drummer uh, he, Correct. you can go and view his drumming on YouTube and he's pretty good he's very good he seems I like Peter Cech he just seems like a really fun person yeah I can't predict what he's going to do next. You know, there's loads of boring people in the world, and then you've Peter Check who plays the drums and is now an ice hockey goalkeeper. Why on earth not? Fair play, Peter Check. I hope he's good. Do you know what came out of the off the back of this? Go
2: ahead.
0: So uh, Coventry Blaze ice hockey team obviously yes. uh-huh. put out a spoof that Steve Grizavich <laughs> was going to sign for them, and loads of people just believed it because it's on also oh, on the internet, and everyone just believed it. Like, oh my god, Steve, Agri- like Steve Grizavich! I think is sixty-one. So. It probably is not the right point in his life to start thinking about becoming an ice no. hockey keeper to, You know, no. at that level. Uh, <laughs> coming up against Manchester Storm or something, it could do him a proper proper injury. <laughs> so no, um, but uh, fair play. Um, Stephen O'Grizzavid's thing is brilliant. We've had him on the programme before. He's an absolute gentleman. But uh, Coventry City played along with it and then had to actually come out and say, look, Augie's not actually doing this. Just, <laughs> just drop it now. But uh, I, I just love how things spiral out of control like mm. that. Um, I've seen a video, I've actually tweeted it um, at M. Clark Show if you want to go and see it, of Mick McCarthy. We've all been in a press conference or seen a press conference at some stage where a mobile phone's gone off. Sometimes managers aren't particularly pleased and can be a bit frosty with journalists when they make the wee faux pas. Um, I remember uh, in the old Windsor Park, actually, I, had, I won't name the person, but a, a very senior journalist said to me, here, kid, go down, here's my phone, go down, and stick that under the manager and, and just record it. Great, yeah. So I thought, I can't be bothered standing. I'll hit record on the phone, I'll put it on the table and I'll go and sit down. Remember the old room, Alan? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sitting at the back of this room because it was, it was packed out and uh, the, the phone goes, remember, it's not my phone, so I don't recognise the ringtone. I'm sitting there going, what oh, an idiot. It's that, and nobody's getting up. And then it dawned on me, Oh, god, it's the phone I've put. So I had to walk up, whatever age I was, 2021. 20, I'm so sorry, so, so sorry. Tried to work out somebody else's phone, absolute nightmare. But uh, the reason I'm talking about it is it's happened to Mick McCarthy, somebody's ringtone was the stripper, you know, that. Da-na-na-na. Colin, your face lit up there like you know the one I'm talking about. No idea. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> I'd never heard it before this, I'm honest. But uh, Mike McCarthy does a, a little... He unzips his jacket a bit, does a wee bit of a dance, and, and Marilyn Monroe sings Happy Birthday to somebody. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and I, I like that he didn't go, what, whose phone is that? He, he seems like a nice character. Well
2: certainly different aren't I? at least he, he, he's game for a laugh I suppose, game really.
0: for a laugh I, I, I like it uh, what else is in words you had
2: at this week I thought this one was totally bizarre about former uh, English Football League chief Sean Harvey he was sort of talking about things that he regrets from his career obviously he's not involved and one of the things he was trying to sort out was that they could actually make the draw for the Carabao Cup in space <laughs> Now this is totally bizarre. Why would you want to make a cup draw in space? Apparently it was in negotiation about the space stations and stuff like that. So totally out of this world.
0: Uh, yeah, it, I mean this is this is just wonderful, isn't it? Because the Caribou Cup have had their draw in Ho Chi Minh City. They've had it in uh, Bangkok. They've had it in a Morrison's. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, <laughs> Uh, we can't do it in outer space, Steve. Where What are you fancy? Mar- Morrison's is available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fairly <laughs> no harm. Other stores are available and all that nonsense. But like that's one end of the spectrum to the other, isn't it? As the
2: balls all float into space, oh, number one. Where did it go? It's way over what there. Right? Magic. It disappears into the distance.
0: Outer space.
2: <laughs> Completely wired to the moon, as yeah, we would say.
0: Yeah, dear goodness. No, I'm not so sure about that. I'm also not sure about uh, the the pitch that Ireland are going to be playing on. Yes. Because there's obviously, there's obviously been a big fear about the storm and and there's been matches that have been called off and there's other matches on sort of alert and stuff like that. And the nightmare is you're in a World Cup. I I do kind of feel like Japan have dropped the ball here in that they're in a World Cup and they don't have a better contingency plan of, oh, let's give them all points. I'll be all right. You know, (laughs) sorry, this may affect qualification. It'll affect who we're seeded against in the next round. But uh, Fukuoka is the place that I'm very carefully saying and um, they, they've they shown us the pitch that Ireland are going to be playing on here right? they they resurfaced it recently and there's a video now online of the Ireland players lifting the turf up and sticking the ball underneath it you know it lifts yes, like a it's carpet, an, it just yeah. peels away
2: and you just set the ball underneath it so it disappears completely
0: I mean you wouldn't want that to be your toe catching underneath it or anything like that you could actually do yourself a proper injury you could
2: do a very serious injury I would think
0: so uh, there you go, the Rugby World Cup, which I actually have to say from what I've seen of it I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the Rugby World Cup it's a you can't help you know big events such as this you know a massive storm coming but I would like to see a contingency that you may be playing a different island if it comes to it and you move away from the storm and why aren't there more venues I don't know but uh control the controllables make sure your pitches aren't peeling up
2: that would help World Cup
0: get it sorted get it sorted there we go there you're welcome everybody there's our public service announcement for the day uh, anything else to throw in there
2: uh, former world champion at snooker, Neil Robertson. I'm not sure if you've seen this one. Or not Neil no. was due to play a, a guy called Ian Burns in the English uh, quarterfinals. No, not quarterfinals. First round of a competition at the Barnsley metro Dome, um, but unfortunately, he said sat nav to Barnsley, and it took him to Barnsley in Cambridge, which <laughs> meant he was 300 miles away and had to forfeit the match. Uh,
0: that's class. I uh, I've seen that happen to players before. People not knowing where grounds are. Alan, have any of your teammates ever gone to the wrong destination? Um, no, no. <laughs> <Definitely not>. no. <laughs> I couldn't imagine that being allowed at Linfield. A large
1: fine, if it is. Oh dear! Um, <laughs>
0: it definitely, it definitely has happened. I nearly did it myself. I was in Dublin. Uh, was it last weekend? And I was going to Oriel Park in Dundalk. And it turns out my, my phone wanted to take me to one that was only half an hour away from where I was As opposed to the hour journey that I should have been expecting And luckily I went, there's no way, it's only half an hour away And then I, I had to put it into the car and I finally found where I was going Because I'd never been to the ground before But uh, yeah, otherwise I could have ended up uh, with egg in my face And a match without a commentator Could have been yep. bad It's easy now
2: <laughs> when Chelsea were in Dublin playing pre-season there, uh, myself and my friend went down in the, the train. And we got off. And we headed towards where we thought the ground was, which was half an hour or half a mile from the train station. Happy days. Got there, seen the floodlights. Thought this is a very big ground for uh, for a sort of a small Irish or Irish league side. From our. Byron's, i choose Got to Cut it there and it turned out it was Crook Park, but the actual street it was on was the exact same name. I think it's Richmond Street from the gap, it was the exact same name as like, where St Patrick's Athletic play. So they've got two streets in Dublin with the exact same name. We, of course, went to the wrong one and it turned out it was seven miles from the one we wanted to go to. So quick taxi over, but uh, so it can be done.
0: I am going to, uh, because Alan's here, I'm sucking up here. Well, this is my final one, right? This is one in the Goalkeepers Union category, right? Because Soccer AM and others have gone with a Gillingham, they've made fun of uh, Mikhail Jolly, I think his name is, uh, plays for Gillingham because he, inverted has missed two penalties in the space of three minutes, which to be fair is a bit of a stinker. Um, both are definite penalties. The second one, actually, the ball hits the net and the referee says, no, I've already blown my whistle, it's not a goal, it's a penalty. I would criticise the ref there, <laughs> that's a bit rotten. But anyway, he actually has both penalties saved. He doesn't miss them. The keeper goes, springs to his right, tips one round the post brilliant save for a save the second one's not as good a penalty the keeper dives to his left and parries it away that's two saves there you go alan yep two saves in my book it's not it's not a miss it's a save 100%. <laughs> if, he, if he sticks it in the stand absolutely if the keeper springs into both corners and tips them away give him a bit of praise mm-hmm. instead of going that guy's awful he's missed two penalties in three minutes what about the keeper that's just saved two penalties in three minutes there you go other side of a coin yep Anything else before I tie a wee ribbon round this? The
2: last one I have has got nothing to do with sport but it made me laugh a little bit anyway. It's okay. Basically it's a, in Wales, United Kingdom, I'm not sure if you are aware, but there's a legal requirement for road signs were put in both English and indeed in Welsh in the English language okay so in in a certain case uh, a road sign had to be put up so the official from the highways department emailed the English wording to the translator and after receiving a reply proceeded to have the sign made and installed on the side of the road massive big sign and the sign in English read no entry for heavy goods vehicles residential site only Clear enough. Okay. Fair enough, yeah. But unfortunately, a few weeks later, the Welsh-speaking drivers began to call and say that the actual sign in Welsh actually read, I'm currently out of the office. Please submit any translation work to the translation team. So basically, <laughs> somebody had picked it up, hadn't realised, and completely translated
0: word for word. That's class. <laughs> you would be got it, wouldn't you? I've got it here. Do you want to check that? No, it seems alright. She's emailed back. <laughs> Bang, off it goes. Stick that on a big sign. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Oh, that's that's up there with, you know people that go abroad and they feel really like in touch with culture and they get amazing tattoos that just are like, you know, chicken balls <laughs> and rice Please, They've no idea. No, it says peace and tranquility. My, mm-hmm. dead on. <laughs> I, I was at a concert in Belfast and um, I, I fancied a bit of Asian food, as you do, and I went up to a counter and I had a, a shirt that Said I don't, I have no clue what it said. It had a nice picture on the front of it, and there was some writing. I didn't know if it was Chinese or Japanese. I still don't. Right, it was years ago. And I went up, and the the girl said, "You know that doesn't make sense." <laughs> and I said back to her, "I want food. I want food, not criticism." <laughs> she didn't like that either. But it just always stuck in my head. She went, that doesn't actually make any sense. You're like, ah, but it's from like dumb stores. Like it not you know, it doesn't need to. But uh, there we go. That's been where's your head at this week on the score. There you go. Should we put out like a public service announcement if you've been affected by shirts that don't translate correctly? (sighs) No, I don't think we shall. Um, Alan Blaney is with us. He's our special guest in this hour in the programme. Uh, Great to have you here with us, Alan. Um, Lots of Linfield fans have been, I'm sure, waiting for us to talk about that spell at the Blues. Um, and, And what a fruitful period in your career. Was that was that as you know was that your highlight? Is that your your favorite point looking back on it and those those title wins, those Irish Cups? Yeah,
1: hundred um, percent. I was actually speaking to my wife uh, yesterday about it. Um, I've played in England, I've played for Northern Ireland and stuff, but those those three years are, are definitely the best best period of my career. Definitely.
0: I mean, you knew going to Linfield was a big thing. You couldn't have imagined it would have gone that well.
1: No. Definitely not. Um. Actually, with the start that I had as well, I didn't think it was going to go that well. Um. My first first maybe five or six games, I was absolutely shocking. Um. I had the really, really about six or seven really bad games. Um. And I'm sure the fans were going, "Who is this guy? This guy's absolutely rubbish." Um. But but it, it came it came good in the end. You know, it came good.
0: What, what is that like as a keeper? Because uh, we've touched on it, you know, and uh, it can be a lonely position, but you've been brought into Linfield. Their fans expect the best and it just doesn't click immediately. I mean, are you... Is it panic stations in your own head, let alone anywhere else?
1: Yeah, well, obviously they had Alan Manis, He was there for, I don't know, 10 years or whatever, you know, I mean, they absolutely they loved Alan Maness. Um And then he left and then I came in and, and played like I played. The fans are probably thinking, we need to get rid of this guy. But... Um, <laughs> in my mind as well I was you know every game coming up I was really nervous coming to the games everything like that um, and then it's just the, what helped was uh, David Jeffrey. he he stuck by me you know he kept me in the side probably thinking you know it would come good in the end um, and obviously it did
2: I think it would prefer to say that Linfield fans are not the most patient in the world no def- <laughs> definitely not no they're not yeah
0: that I mean, great faith by a manager, you know, because dead easy just to go. Wow, oh, you're you're dropped. Yeah, isn't that yeah. you know yeah. realistically dead easy? wow, you oh, you're dropped. That's yeah. it. Simple.
1: Yeah. Well, no. You you look even. I'm not comparing but, myself to David De Gea, but you look at David De Gea. You know, when he first came into Man United, he, he was he was having a horror horror show mm. for the first maybe season. Um, but obviously, Alex Ferguson stuck by him, and you know he knew he knew what was coming. Um, and obviously, you, you look now. He's Man United's star player every week.
0: Those big personalities we talked about that are in the Linfield dressing room. I mean, were they forgiving? You know, David Jeffrey sticking by you, but when you've got these wily defenders standing in front of you, were you getting scornful looks off them? Uh, no, not
1: not really. You know, it's kind of it's different when with from your teammates. You know, if you're, you're kind of you're one of the lads, and they kind of just try and support you through it. Um, you know, after every game, of had we, we were still winning, obviously. But it wasn't playing very well. But your teammates, you know, your, your good teammates will always, you know, stick by you.
0: And that, that sort of winning mentality, you just steamrolled things for, for those seasons. Yeah. Uh, what do you put that down to? Obviously, good players help, but we've seen plenty of teams who have good players, don't gel, aren't successful, or can be nearly men. What mm-hmm. made you serial winners? I think it's
1: it. was a big part of it. Was down to we were all like best friends. Every one of us, we were so so close. Even you look at like times, the season ends, and you maybe have like a an end of season trip or anything. that. you hear Any other teams, maybe four players go, maybe six or seven players go. When we went away on end of season trips, every single player went because we were all we were all really really good friends. And I think that was a major
0: a major part of it. Did the management go or was it just the players?
1: No, the management the management
0: wasn't there, it was just the players. <laughs> so I would say those trips were very fun. Yeah, they were a good laugh. They were. <laughs> Any stories you're allowed to share? No, definitely not. No. <laughs> He's like, no, life's good at the moment, my God. <laughs> Let's keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it that way. Um obviously your 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 fortune changes, you're able to turn it around and, and, and power to you. Um how enjoyable was was the football? I mean, because obviously it's such a good team. Were you sort of going into a game knowing I might not be as busy as, as I was at other clubs, or are you going into the game thinking I might have one thing to do, but it's going to be important?
1: No, it was just when we were going through that, that that period. It was just you couldn't you couldn't wait for Saturday to come. You were always looking forward to the game starting. Um, just it was just a really really enjoy enjoyable period. Um, once I got over that that bad period, you know we were just just winning constantly ev- every week. Um, and it was I I hadn't had that in my career. You know I was I was in and out of teams and never playing really regularly. So to be to feel part of that and part of that successful team, it was it was really really good and really enjoyable.
0: What was it like getting your hands on the league for the first time in your career?
1: Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um. At at kids level and stuff, I had won trophies and stuff like that, but nothing nothing major like that. Um, through my, you know, my adult career, um, so that was my first real major kind of kind of trophy that that I that I won with a team, and it was it was absolutely fantastic.
0: Uh, sorry, also, I was going to
2: say you also won Ulster Football of the Year one of the years now. I must admit I find that a bit strange. Aside to you winning leagues and stuff, obviously going forwards, going lots of goals, but all of a sudden a goalkeeper wins Player of the Season. We we surprised that one. I think that that
1: season we did we did we won the league. Um, obviously, we did won the league. But I I remember that season being being very busy. Right. Um, I don't know why what the reason was for it, but um, you know it was I was and that was the season as well. I think I got into the the Northern Ireland team right. or in the Northern Ireland squad as okay. well. Um, but I just remember being very busy, and that, that I would I think that was one of my, my best my best seasons of of my career so far. Big honor to win that award. Yeah, fantastic. Um, didn't even have a clue it was it was happening. You know, I just got a call from um, Joel Taggart to say that I'd won it, and I was I was over the moon with it.
0: Brilliant, really well done. Well, fair play, and uh, you know, and that's what we're talking about. When you look back in a career to say these personal achievements, you know, from Save of the Season, Player of the Season, uh, it's amazing to have done it. Um, the Irish Cup final is. You know it's a, it's a thing of legend it's a it's a an amazing day out there's nothing really like it yeah. um <clears throat> to have been involved in three successful ones that's i mean i would say it never wears off
1: no definitely not um still have every suit as well. Do you? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, you get your new suit and all of the Irish Cup day and everything. It's just the whole day is just it's absolutely brilliant, um, and even better. Obviously, the end of you win, mm-hmm. and then we have a you know we we used to go back to Cook Rugby Club afterwards and have a party there as well. So and obviously lifting the Irish Cup as well. It's just the whole day. It's just if you're able to, you know, try and enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's it's really really good.
0: It's interesting you say that. That's something that everyone says. It's about trying to enjoy it. it, can it can swallow you up whole that day.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You can be nervous, or you know, the crowd can you know affect you as well. So I remember my very first one. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Texted me, just t- told me to try and enjoy it. Um, and I was like, what, "What does that mean? You know, I mean, I am going to enjoy it, but obviously, once I've played in them, I can I can see how it could affect players in a different way.
0: And you see what it means to the supporters as well. I mean. No one ever tires of winning that competition. Some teams strive their whole their whole existence to try to get their hands on it once, mm-hmm. and and you're able to say that you've done it, you know, three times, which is it's obviously a tremendous success. But you see, it just everything feels louder. You see, fans lying in the streets like they wouldn't do for a normal league game or anything like mm-hmm. that. Is there anything really sort of stands out for you in the in the build up on your way to a game like that, where you just think? Oh, this is important. Look, look what it means to these guys.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's like I said the, the whole day is just it's absolutely fantastic. You know, even when you're you're coming into the ground, you would normally on a normal league match you would just come in your car, but then you obviously, a cup final day you get a big a big bus and things like that, and you're driving in and the fans are all you know at the side of the bus waving you in and things like that. It, it ma- it makes you feel really important and it's it, it's great.
0: And even better when you come out the other side of it. Yeah, 100% it is. (laughs) Did you ever have any pre-match rituals or superstitions?
1: No. Um, The only thing I ever did was put my left sock on first. That was it. And I don't know why. I just (laughs) always did. And even do now, even when I'm getting dressed, I put my left sock on first. I don't know.
0: Have you ever put the right one on first and gone, oh, no. So it's going to be a bad day. No, no, definitely not. But <laughs> uh, no, so I, <laughs> Some people can be really affected by that, and I, I've known some goalkeepers to be quite sort of superstitious about. Yeah, you know, things. you get guys that would before
1: a game they would lay all their their stuff out on the on the bench. You know, their gloves first, shin guards, boots down below. They have, boots have to be sitting a certain way. I know a lot of goalkeepers like that, but no, I was I was never never one for that kind of kind of thing.
0: Because I think uh, you know you've said in the past that you're you know the confidence thing is really massive for you when you're feeling good you're invincible when you're not yep. feeling good it can be it can be hard mm-hmm. is that does it get easier with experience do you think or you know how how would you sort of relay that on to to people
1: it should it should get easy easier with experience um i didn't find it any easier um it's just a a personal thing i actually felt i got more more nervous as i got older i don't know why um, when I was younger, nerves really ever affected me playing football at all. But as I got older, it seemed to affect me more and more. Um, so it's just, I think it's just a, a, a personal thing. Um, there's things you can't do, you know, to, to, to combat that and stuff. But for me, it was just, I was always, you know, I was, I was nervous before games. And I think sometimes that's a good thing, you know what I mean? But for other other people... Are less nervous. I don't know. It's just a it's just a personal thing with different different goalkeepers.
0: Because, I mean, I haven't done a survey. <coughs> I don't have any research to back this up. But I would imagine goalkeepers get less encouragement than than the average player. You know, from from fans and and Wait, stuff well, like
1: that. I, well, you see a a striker if he he hits a shot and it goes a mile over the bar, they get a we get a round of applause. Do you know what I mean? Or, or an ooh or something like that. <laughs> you don't you don't get that if you nearly save a shot. Do you know what I mean? So it's going back on the the pressure on a goalkeeper. It's just it's just everything. You're just all there's always pressure on the goalkeeper.
0: I'm interested in that. I mean, did it did it ever get the better of you? Do you think looking back in your career?
1: Yes, I do. I do think that. Um, I think if I hadn't have suffered with the the nerves that I did, I think I maybe had a, would have had a better career. Um, it's nerves and self doubt and things like that. You know what's just. I can't explain it. You know, it's just, just one of them things. Obviously, some goalkeepers don't get it. Some do. I think it held me back at certain certain stages.
0: Did it ever affect your personal life, or was it just match days? No,
1: never affected my personal life. It was just it was all just to do with match days, training, fine, everything. Match days. It just was. One day, one Saturday, I'd wake up wouldn't have it. Next Saturday, I would have it. It's just just one of them things you can't even can't, put your finger on. Can't, can't put my finger on it at all. Drive you I crazy. I could have had a brilliant week in training, saving everything, and then the Saturday comes and I'm full of self-doubt. I don't know. It's just a. It was a strange thing.
0: Because you know why people sometimes talk about, oh, that first save for a keeper, that's him. you know, he's mm-hmm. got his, his gloves on <coughs> it early. Is that yeah, a real thing?
1: That is a real thing. For me, it was. For me, it was a real thing. Even something stupid as a, a good kick. First of all, like the game started, I had a good had a good kick. Went, met the striker or something like that. That would have been me then, or a cross coming in the box. I would have took it. That would have been me. If the game had a start of a mistake, then the game was just
0: gone. What a, a very interesting bit of insight, but also how informative for you now as a goalkeeping coach, because those youngsters <coughs> that you're working with, mm-hmm. they'll be going through that. Some will, some will be so cocksure they won't be, but yeah. there'll be others that are, yeah. that, that have that, and you'll be able to relay, like, don't let it cripple you.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. All you can tell them is, don't. Try not to let it cripple. You know what I mean. But everybody's everybody's different, and how their how their brains work. You know, I can tell somebody that I'm blue in the face. You know, you're going to be nervous, but forget about it. You know what I mean. Anybody any walk of life. You know, if they're nervous, it it affects them no matter what they're doing. Um. So it's just you just gotta you know try your best, and and, and hopefully they'll they'll overcome it.
0: Talking of overcoming things, and we we are going back a bit in your career. I mean you. You, you had a very serious illness that that came out of training, yep. um, which uh, an illness so so fancy and Latin looking. I can't <laughs> even say it. Do you know
1: how to pronounce it? Uh, it's pronounced rhabdomylosis.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: there you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now w- we can smile about it now. But I mean, I I looked into this a little bit, and I'll ask you to explain it. I mean, it's it's very serious.
1: Yeah. Well, it's I didn't actually know anything about it. Um, we done a pre-season training session um it was a it was really hard you know it was it was a difficult pre it was just more it was no football involved it was just a physical workout um i got home that night and i couldn't couldn't move my arms didn't know what was going on I just thought i've just i've really worked harder you know I'll, I'll go to bed but we were going on holiday the next day but i woke up in the middle of the night and my whole body had just completely just swollen up my shoulders were all swollen up everything um and I just I couldn't move, um but I just put it down to you know hard work. I just thought it'll go away in a, in a day or two. Went on holiday, got worse. My whole body just completely swole Um, ended up uh I start when I was going to the toilet was passing uh, blood and stuff like that. So I just thought well, I'll just drink a load of water here and hopefully it'll you know go away. Obviously that did, but the swelling didn't. Um, got home, and. My sister actually said to me, "We need to go to the hospital here." So me and my wife um, went to the hospital, and the doctors were actually amazed that it was still alive. Basically, they couldn't they couldn't believe how I actually you got through it without any kind of medical medical attention or medical treatment.
0: <sighs> scary.
1: Yeah, it was. It was scary. Um, they say just it was it was just through luck really that it not that nothing really bad happened. Um, it says that I had drank that much water, it, it kinda of flushed it out a bit. Um, but if I hadn't if I hadn't have done that, I could've could, could have died on in, in, in holiday like.
0: Have you ever processed that? I mean that's that's heavy stuff.
1: Yeah, I know. And I never really have processed it, you know, it's just to me it was just one of them things. It was just um what was it was a very strange one. It's a strange one. The process, um, but obviously I was, I was, I was lucky, and I got through it.
0: I mean, I I stuck it into Google, and I've got what it says in front of me. It's a serious syndrome due to direct or indirect muscle injury, results from the death of muscle fibers and the release of their contents into the bloodstream. That's you know that gives you an idea. That doesn't sound like a walk in the park. Yeah, well,
1: it's, it, it, apparently it shuts, starts to shut down your your liver and stuff like that. So all well, your your organs start to start to fail and stuff like that.
0: Um, it also said <clears throat> that uh, when they first discovered it, it was in the victims of earthquakes. You know, this uh, you can get it from very intense exercise and dehydration and, and your body starts to break down that way which is what's happened here with you yeah, yeah. but a lot of the people are actually crush victims yeah. that suffer this mm-hmm. 26,000 people in America apparently annually endure it from whatever but I mean the mortality rate thing is was well, 15 20 percent something yeah, like that Yeah,
1: 15 percent I think it was yeah <sighs> yeah so I was I was I was lucky so
0: just because I mean when I sort of looking into that and you go my goodness it's so severe Is there any lasting impact on you now?
1: Um, Yeah. Um, I'm not... I I, I don't think I'm I'm as strong as what I used to be. Um, Well, after it, like, about three or four years after it, I I wouldn't even be able to do a press-up. You know, it's just... It it kind of wasted my muscles away. Um, I've had to try and, you know, build myself back up again. Um, Obviously, that was the... From the the doctor's advice, you know, you're going to have to try and build your muscles back up again. Um, but I think it. after that happened, I don't know, it, it may or may not have, I think it, it kind of, you know, spelled the end for my, my football career as well.
0: Obviously, because this is a broadcast and people are listening, we have to make sure we say this. If you are feeling any of those symptoms off the back of, of intense training, go and, and get checked out. And I'm sure you would say that too.
1: Yeah, 100%. Any any kind of, if he's... Uh, suffering any kind of symptoms go straight to the hospital which I should have done
0: and thank goodness you drank so much water yeah (laughs) (laughs) crazy Um, just before we wrap this up um, some of the, the, the top questions people always ask a lot of managers at the moment are advocating Irish League football get hundreds of games under your belt here when you're young and then try and make the move across the water you didn't do it that way I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on Go over when you're young, or establish yourself here and then try go over. Which which do you prefer? Um,
1: I, th- I think it's it's just down to the individual. To be honest with you, you never really nowadays you'd very rarely hear of a, a kid going to like a a Premiership club or something like that. It's always like kind of League One, League Two, Championship stuff like that. And it's obviously it's it's obviously done well for the likes of Stuart Dallas and guys like that you know they they've played the man they played the man's game here for a load of years and went over there and it, it served them well but i think it's just down to down to the individual to be honest with you
0: um because you mentioned the the, the irish sort of league connection obviously Stuart dallas he he set up a goal last night sadly it wasn't to be the winning goal i leapt off the chair. I screamed the house down. I was convinced. I wasn't convinced for like the 74 minutes before it, but for 60 seconds, we're going to beat them. I was Mm. so, so sure. Uh, And unfortunately it wasn't to be. And you, uh, you know, have five, I think caps for Northern Ireland, was it? Five. five, That's uh, what a, what a brilliant thing to be able to say as well in your career. Five times to, to line up and play for your country.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Um, Albeit it was only... I think I only played uh, friendly games. Um, but it was... You know, to get a cap for your country, to pull your shirt on for your country, a, a, obviously everyone says it's It is a massive, massive honour. Um, and I'm so... I'm, I'm chuffed to bits that I have those caps.
0: I mean... There's probably four that you enjoyed and then the the first one, (laughs) the the elephant in the room, right? You have have one of the best days of your life in the the birth of a child and then you have a game on the same day, which I don't even know how emotionally anyone's prepared to do that sort of thing, but obviously people do it.
1: No, well, looking back, I think I wish I had stayed in the hospital, to be honest with you. Um, But yeah, it's one of them things, you know, obviously my my eldest boy, Phoenix, he was born that day. Um, And my wife, Laura, she told me, go to the game, don't be staying here, you're only sitting about doing nothing, so went to the game, but obviously my, my head wasn't wasn't right to go and play a game, you know, um, and obviously I made a very bad mistake during the game, um, looking back on it now, I probably would have got away with no disrespect to Irish League players, I probably would have got away with it in Irish League, but because of international players and the Guy Schmack, I think he was very, very, very quick, I took a bit of a heavy touch and he nipped in in front of me and scored
0: Arsenal fans probably wish he moved that fast on a weekly basis (laughs) for them (laughs) he closed in on you Um, but no uh, not to take away from the five caps whatsoever um, that phone call what was that like when you got told you are in the the Northern Ireland squad fantastic
1: Fantastic. it was actually um, after my first season with infield I think one of the goalkeepers got injured or something. It was actually Terry Hayes, the Linfield um, physio. He okay. was the Northern Ireland physio team. He rang me and goes, what's your availability like to go to um, America? Um, and I goes, I didn't even think about it. I just went, yeah, I'm, I'm going. Tell, tell them I'm coming. Um, so it was was fantastic. We went and played against uh, Turkey and Chile. So we did. So it was, it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it.
2: You did say the travelling took a stool on you quite a bit during that journey, is that right?
1: Oh, the travelling was—it was a lot of travelling. But I think we, we took about four or five planes in the space of space of six or seven days. Yeah. We did, and the planes weren't the best either. So it was <laughs> okay. there, there wasn't much leg room and different things. But I didn't really care. I was—I was—I loved it. It was great.
0: Fair enough. Uh, fantastic. Now, uh, fair play to you as well. And um, I believe it was actually your birthday this week. Yep. Good celebrations.
1: No, not really. I was a bit under the weather on on Wednesday, so it was.
0: Well, you're um, you're seeming fine, fettle now. I'm
1: okay now. I'm all right now. So yeah. am. Yep.
0: Well, a, a belated happy birthday to you Thanks from very much. from us. It's been it's been great having you here. And just before I let you go, your kids have two of the coolest names. <laughs> Can we, Phoenix and Kingston
1: yeah well I can't take any credit for those that's my wife she picked those names it's way better so than Michael did. isn't it <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's class Alan uh, you're a superstar thank you so much for coming on to the show it's, uh, it's been really lovely catching up
1: it's been great thank you
0: thank you for listening to the Score I podcast with me Michael Clark we're back live with the whole show on Lisburn's 98 FM and Bangor FM on Friday from 1pm Or you can subscribe to our podcast today to listen back to the first hour each week at your convenience. And in the meantime, keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We hope you can join us for the next episode.